0: not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin.
1: My guest on Freedom Forum Radio is Daryl Brown. I think we've seen, as you have pointed out so well, that over the last 230 years... That federal government that was established to do 18 things has grown massively in the scope of its power. And that has been allowed to happen because the Supreme Court, instead of reading the letter of the law and adhering to it, has interpreted the words to mean different things in different eras. And I think as a textualist, uh, that concerns me an awful lot because I know under contract law, while there is some wiggle room in some contracts if they're not well written, uh, a well written contract spells out in great detail exactly what is going to happen. What is the relationship between these parties? If A happens, if B happens, if C happens, <clears throat> a well-documented and well-written contract cannot be, cannot be really changed uh, if, it, if it, of course, it's well-written. And it goes back to what I believe was the founder's original idea about the Supreme Court, was that the Supreme, the Supreme Court was not there to interpret laws The individual states were the ultimate arbiter and the ultimate interpreter of laws. And if the law was passed by the federal government that Massachusetts thought was wrong, they had the right to either secede, interpose, or nullify that law because the state was the sovereign, not the federal government.
2: And there has since been decisions from the Supreme Court that says what? That the laws of the federal government supersede the state and local laws, and what are you going to do? The Supreme Court's already made that and made that decision, and they use um, the doctrine of stare decisis um, so much that they they are going to be reluctant. To change that
1: well, I think the a major watershed time in, in the history of our nation was uh, around the uh, between eighteen twenty eight and eighteen hundred sixty and that was a period of time that resulted in uh, the um, the war of northern aggression, and it resulted in the Fourteenth Amendment being passed, and that amendment, which was was ratified in an underhanded uh, way, it, basically the Southern states were blackmailed into signing on with the Fourteenth Amendment. Fourteenth Amendment itself was very poorly written. Uh, the in, we can't really know the intentions of everyone who wrote that but nevertheless even the the people who passed it in congress were not really sure what it was going to do or what it was what they wanted to accomplish some wanted one thing some wanted another but that was kind of a an era when our constitution was shredded to an enormous degree Um again because in order to say well yes the the ends justify the means but unfortunately for us now we are paying the price of a greatly uh, empowered uh, federal government and a judiciary that that seems to be over the top in what they can do between the executive branch and the judiciary they're running this our country as a dictatorship and uh, without any any adherence to an original contract, which spelled out a way of protecting individual freedom, the way it had never been really protected before in the history of man,
2: I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure that I agree with that particular assessment totally. I still think that we are a nation of laws. But I I do concede to you the fact that it is difficult to give – it is difficult to see credence, for lack of a better word, in a system where – and I'm not saying that I know a better one, but uh, a system where the judiciary, which is supposed to arbitrate the – different disagreements about the law the judiciary is appointed by the executive and approved by the congress um the conflict of interest there naturally they're going to pick the folks who support them and you know i don't know of a better way of doing that um do you eliminate do you eliminate the courts? No, they're necessary. Um, but the the inherent conflict of interest is there. Um, and political philosophy is often questioned in confirmation hearings for um, for the federal judiciary. Um, how they tend to lean. May um, may be dependent upon how the executive sees them. Um, Their leanings make them the nominee as opposed to someone else. It may be, and that someone else may be someone who is much better qualified, um, much more apt to make better decisions. But that's not the. That's not the way the system works, and that system, as far as nomination by the executive and approval by Congress, was something that was set up by our founding fathers, and um, whether that's been abused over the years is, again, above my pay grade.
1: My guest on Freedom Forum Radio is Daryl Brown. Well, let me let me just say that, of course, <clears throat> I always I always plug a book called The Dirty Dozen by Bob Levy, uh, the chairman of the board of the uh, Cato Institute. And he wrote a book called The Dirty Dozen: The Twelve Worst Supreme Court Decisions of All Time, starting, of course, with the Dred Scott decision and going all the way up through Kelo versus Connecticut, where the city of New London was allowed to steal the property of a bunch of homeowners and give that property to another private individual, which uh, most of us took a look at that and said that is obviously a terrible, horrendous miscarriage of justice. But the point is that what we've seen happen since the founding of this nation is that we started out dealing with a group, uh, a, a basic core of individuals who not only were intelligent but were morally driven to do the right thing for their nation and for their fellow citizens. I'm sure that when they sat around devising the Supreme Court and and how it was going to work they were thinking of a group of incredibly intelligent legal minds who would sit there and make decisions based upon moral Character and the written word of the Constitution. That is not what we have now. What we have now is a third legislative body that makes decisions based upon political agendas. And that's how people are put on the Supreme Court. So when you hear people discussing the Supreme Court now, you say the liberal justices said this, the conservative justices said that it was not supposed to be like that it was supposed to be what is legally correct it doesn't matter what you believe on the outside world you're supposed to sit there and make legal decisions based upon the law not upon what your political philosophy was I
2: agree um. I also realize that our founding fathers, um, I'll, I'll use my own metaphor here. Um, I have clients who come into my office and they say, well, how is this going to turn out? Um, and I tell them, I have a crystal ball on my desk. It doesn't work. Um, and our founding fathers, for all of their best intentions, could not have seen a nation that went from sea to shining sea with over 300 million people in it and 50 states um, with competing interests, there's no way that they could have imagined that and their their ability to put together a working, functioning document that would last for all time That's a little much to expect of anyone but
1: nevertheless if you look at that document as being based upon a set of principles the principles of property rights natural law rights individual freedom and personal responsibility if you look at that document that's what that document is all about and you said it at the beginning you said that this was, the Constitution was a due process document. Yes, sir. And it is. The problem is, is that the, the foibles and, and human, human over time, the human lust for power, greed, whatever, has resulted in changes in that document that have, affected its ability to protect you and me from the federal government. And that is where the crime of the century is at this point, is that our own failings as human beings have been allowed to corrupt what was a nearly perfect agreement that would have protected us and allow us to all live as free individuals.
2: Setting out the principles is extremely important, but I will have to say that, in my opinion, you do have to change with the times. Um, they could not—they could not f- foretell the different issues that were that were going to come up. I'm sure that none of our founding fathers. Um, In their wisdom, sitting down would think that in 1860 that somebody would secede from the Union. I would not think that they would have thought that, um, you know, setting down these principles and setting down all of these protections that they have to personal liberty would see that South Carolina would fire a shot in anger. And say we are no longer a part of you. While they may have prepared for it, and there is language within the there's language within the Constitution that that sort of sees where, you know, you can you can do that. I'm sure that their idea of forming a more perfect union meant that the union would remain, and it in fact did not, and that changed our nation.
1: Well, like I said, that was a very pivotal point, pivotal point in our history. But you know, if, if you study the history of that era, that the taxation of the South, the South paid 80% of the taxes in the United States. And when they seceded, Lincoln was asked, why not just let them go? If they want to go, they can go. They can secede. And what Lincoln's response was, well, who will pay the taxes if they secede? The tax structure was, was, was built on a way that punished the South uh, economically but that spared the North. And that was a real issue. Uh, people like to think that slavery was the primary issue. It was part of it, but primarily it was taxation. But nevertheless... When you deal with a document, a contract based upon principles, and we, we have discussed that, things change, instances, circumstances change, but principles do not change. And, and that, I believe, is where we have gone awry in this country, is that the principles are no longer being adhered to by a large percentage of the population population who want to impose their will on the others. And the Supreme Court has been a party to that process over the last hundred years. And the Supreme Court has allowed the people who want to, the busybodies in our neighborhood, if you wish, the Supreme Court has allowed them to impose their will on the rest of us. And that's why there's an enormous divide in this country today.
2: We'll bring... I'll bring this back to something that's in the news right now. Um, I'm sure many of your listeners are in favor of the wall on the border with Mexico. And... Whether it's a good idea or a bad idea, the one thing that I would point out is that due process demands something regarding that wall. There are not just states that border Mexico. There are private property owners that border Mexico. If you're going to build a wall, do those private property owners not have – and, and for, for them to build that wall, unless they consent to having the wall built on their property, the government's going to have to take that property through eminent domain. If that is, in fact, the case, those people get due process, and they must get due process. How's the wall being built? It's being built through emergency powers. There's being money that's been diverted from the military and from other sources to build this wall. Who declared the emergency? The executive declared the emergency. It's going different places than where Congress said it was supposed to go. Where was the process involved there that allowed that particular money? And I know that it's been in the news to go towards building a wall as opposed to building a middle school at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, which apparently is very overcrowded. The wisdom of those things, I I, I don't seek to debate, but legally – there's due process that's involved here. There are separation of powers issues. There are, there are legal rights of private individuals that are at stake here. And if you give them due process, can we build a wall on the Mexican border within, um, from, from, from the Gulf of Mexico to the Pacific? Yes, you can. You can build that wall, but all of those property owners are going to have to be paid for their property. They're going to have to be paid for the devaluation of their property because, well, the the view used to be of Mexico, which may or may not be a beautiful view, but the, the view of a wall is basically the same view you get if you're in prison.
0: And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website,
2: www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The rights to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom.
1: Call them muddy waters. And people, I just
2: love to hear that old man sing. Wait. Yeah, when I play the Hoochie Coochie Man, I get joy in everything.
1: Everything. Everything.
2: Everything gonna be all right this morning.